0: So let's turn to Colossians Chapter 4 Colossians of course was written by the Apostle Paul from Rome in about 64 AD and sent with the letters to the Ephesians and the letter to Phil, uh, probably sent via Philemon probably So, let's uh, have a look at this. It's the 51st book of the Bible. Four chapters, 95 verses, 1,998 words, give or take, depending on your translation, of course. There's one question, 92 verses of history, and three verses of unfulfilled prophecy. And we find ourselves in the practical section of the book that runs from chapter 2, verse 4 through to the end. So chapter 4, just a few verses, 2 through 4. Paul writes, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of it, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's end our reading verse 6, in point of fact. This is God's word. Let's pray a blessing on his word. Father, we thank you for these verses. For the exhortations of the Apostle Paul. We understand, Father, he was writing to a church that existed many centuries ago, but how relevant and pertinent these scriptures are for us all these centuries on in this church. And so we pray that you might open our hearts to receive the Word of God, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So thinking tonight about persevering in prayer Persevering in prayer. A well the, the well known and well travelled Argentinian evangelist Louis Palau some years ago now was once asked what was his cardinal temptation as a Christian worker? Money? Sex? Pride perhaps? And- He replied, and I quote, None of these things, my dear. My major temptation, he said, is to want to give up sometimes. My major temptation is to want to give up sometimes. Now let's be honest. We've all been there. Sometimes. If we're not careful in life, we may end up living... In another place, just north of Keswick, a place called Weary Hall, it exists. Check your map. Have we, friends, grown weary, grown tired of well-doing and subsequently, therefore, taken up residence in Weary Hall and finding ourselves living most miserably Well, we need to move house? We've all at times felt like giving up. It's not unusual. It wasn't unusual for the Apostle Paul. I I can read the scriptures and the Apostle Paul's writings and it is evident in his writings that there were times when he felt his back was to the wall, so to speak, and he was despairing, discouraged, disheartened, and perhaps he felt like giving up. He knew something of this mindset. And so in the early chapters of this letter to the Colossians, He reminded the Colossians, I'm sure he reminded himself in the writing of some of the fundamental truths that drive us on as Christians. What were these truths? Well, Christ, the Son of God, has died for us. Died for me. Christ, the Son of God, was risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is our life. Christ is at the Father's right hand where he intercedes with the Father in our Defense And Jesus will come again. He sought to, I'm sure in the writing, remind himself of these fundamental truths. And of course, in sending the letter, remind the Colossians. Friends, we need to be reminded of the fundamentals. I know we sit down sometimes and we hear the same old, same old and think to ourselves, well, pastor, I've heard this before. Well, of course we've heard it many times, but we need to hear it again. Many times we need to be reminded of the fundamental truths of the Word of God that we might not grow weary and lose heart. And so you find this in the Apostle Paul's writing, do you, a certain repetition as he writes to the church reminding them of fundamental truths. Paul says in the light of Christ, in the light of Christ, don't give up. Press on. Keep moving forward for the sake of God's kingdom. How do we press on? There's a big question. How do we press on? It's all very well, Pastor, presenting us with some kind of uh, biblical fundamental or prerequisite. But how do we do it? Be practical. Well, the Apostle Paul, of course, was fundamentally practical, wasn't he? In all of his writings. And here in chapter 4, he implies that we press on by being prayerful. Chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. Being prayerful. Paul, remember, started this letter to the Colossian church in chapter 1, 3 through 8, with a a wonderful prayer. Here he continues, well, he returns, I suppose, to the topic of prayer, endeavouring maybe to enlist these Colossian believers as his fellow prayer warriors. He says Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. So he's on a mission to recruit prayer warriors. He's on a mission to encourage the Christian church to be prayerful and so press on. Devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and and thankful. I know, friends, we every one of us here gathered know all that there is to know about prayer. And no, I know I realize that. I'm preaching to the converted. But it's good to be reminded, is it not? Paul is looking to recruit prayer warriors. It's so encouraging, isn't it, when people pray for us. Wouldn't you agree? It's so encouraging when people take us to their hearts. And pray for us. a number of years ago now, I was preaching at a missionary convention that was held at Brunel Manor in uh, Torquay. And during the convention, a lady came up to me, a a complete stranger I thought, and said to me, "Pastor Atherton, Pastor Atherton, I have been praying for you and your wife ever since the Lord laid you upon my heart at a particular faith mission conference." I thought about it for a moment because she alluded to the conference and I suddenly realised that that conference was 20 years earlier. 20 years earlier. I didn't know her. She knew me as, as someone who was a preacher and maybe received some correspondence to the mission agency and yet God had laid us as a family on her heart and here she was 20 years saying, I've been praying for you for the last 20 years. I didn't know her prayers. Oh, it so blessed me. so encourage me it was wonderful isn't it isn't it going to be great when we get to heaven and we suddenly realise we suddenly come into contact with a a host of people who've been praying for us and we had no idea they were it's going to be fun isn't it shaking people's hands metaphorically or otherwise embracing people who've been praying for us and we've never met them that will be the reality I'm sure of it (laughs) And that's what Paul is endeavouring to do here. He's endeavouring to recruit prayer warriors. This dear lady there in Brunel Manor has lived a prayerful life. So let's remind ourselves, just three thoughts, because the Apostle Paul uh, alludes to them. Three thoughts. What does it mean to lead a prayerful life? Well, firstly, it means to be faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. We are to devote ourselves to prayer. Friends, as Christians, prayer is not something we tag on to what we already do as Christians. Prayer is fundamental to what we do as Christians. It's not something that we, we push in at the beginning of the day or, or tag on at the end of the day. Prayer is, is something we devote ourselves to. We ought, we ought to be staunch about prayer. We ought to persevere in prayer. Elsewhere, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul's exhortation is to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In other words, this is something that is essential for us as Christians to do. To stay constantly in touch with God throughout the day. Maintaining a, if you like, moment by moment communion with God. We need to be like Nehemiah was. Remember his testimony in Nehemiah chapter 2. When he came before King Artaxerxes. He tells us, I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king. It's almost as if he was doing the, the two at the same time. I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king. This is what I call an arrow prayer. He he was in the midst of a, a, a daily activity. And yet he threw an arrow prayer towards The King of Kings and the Lord of Laws. This prayer is like breathing, isn't it? Stop and you die. My friends, there are many Christians. Many Christians who spiritually are on the brink of death in a sense. Because they've stopped praying. We call this the Christian's vital breath, don't we? Prayer. We don't necessarily need to bow our heads and close our eyes when we pray all the time. Because if we did that, of course, we would end up getting injured regularly as we go about our daily business. But we ought to, my friends, be in an an attitude of daily prayer. Yes, going about about our business. But yes, being like Nehemiah, throwing up arrow prayers as we go. Be watchful. Stay awake, stay alert. That was the mindset of Christ, wasn't it? He returned to the disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. He was in agony of soul. What did he say to them? Can you not stay and watch with me for just one hour? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. That we might not fall into temptation, of course. Watch and pray. That we might be watchful for answers to prayer. And thus give thanks, watch and pray, that we might watch out for the Lord's return. We need to be watchful uh, in our prayerful life. There's an old adage that goes, you'll know it. Seven days without prayer makes one week. W E A K. I like that. Seven days without prayer makes one week. That's why, friends, we can't we can't afford to wait from one Sabbath to the next before we pray. Being a prayerful person means to be faithful in prayer. We don't need to allow our prayer lives to become dull or lifeless or listless. Rather, we need to be passionate about our prayer. We need to have energy in our prayer. You don't need to be physically super fit either to be energetic in prayer. One of the most energetic prayers... I have ever been in a room with was an elder of my my home church, Bob Leeson. Long since gone home to be with the Lord. An old man, racked with physical pain with every step that he took. But he was one of the most energetic prayer warriors I was ever in a room with. And when he was in prayer, he bouncing up and down. He couldn't stop the guy. He had a divine energy that came from, from somewhere. We're reminded again of the prayer life of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we we'll read of Nehemiah uh, using a delightful phrase, I love it, in the authorised, I beseech. Excellent. That's a really old language, I quite like it. I beseech thee. In the original Hebrew, it's one word. It's a word that was usually used of a slave addressing his or her master. I beseech thee. It's almost a sense of, of begging passionately, enthusiastically, as if one's life depended on it. That's how our prayer lives must be. We beseech the Master with such a passion and energy, it's as though our very lives depended upon our prayer and He listening and answering. Prayers are vital breath. Praying in such a manner implies that that, that we really mean our praying. And if God doesn't show up tonight, then where else can we go, friends? What else, can we, what else can we do? The Lord wants us to pray with fervency, expectancy, like Nehemiah of old. I beseech thee, Lord God Almighty. Prayerfulness means faithfulness in prayer. A matter of life or death. Secondly, prayerfulness means to be thankful in prayer. Thankful in prayer. Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So, in addition to faithfulness, we need lots of thankfulness. We need an attitude of gratitude whenever we pray. I like that, don't you? An attitude of gratitude whenever we pray. We need to learn to be thankful, to count our blessings. I use the expression learn because. Oft times, it's not natural, is it? Particularly when we're under attack and we're exposed to the to the to, to the difficulties of, of life and, and living, to be to have a, a natural attitude of, of prayer is difficult. And so, we need to learn to be thankful, to count our blessings. The it says, "Count your blessings, name them one by one, name them by the score." It'll surprise you that there are thousands, yea, millions more. Be sure, friends, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we are less than thankful. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we're critical. There are people I know who, like myself, choose to maintain their testimonies by completely abstaining from alcohol. Yet the very same have wine cellars. W H I N E. Oh, they they boast about their abstention from alcohol, but they have wine cellars. Cellars that intoxicate them and intoxicate those around them with a spirit of bitterness. God, deliver the church from the spirit of bitterness. There is nothing like gratitude to God to help us develop a sweet, tender, Christ-like spirit within us. Such people are a joy to be about, aren't they? You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Sometimes we're, we're, we, we, we spend company with the, the, the bitter-spirited ones who have their wine sadness. And we come away from the company feeling less than inflated, don't we? How joyous it is to spend an hour or two in the precious company of those who are just full of the, the blessed, tender, thankful spirit of God. It's a wonder. It's a joy. You go into the company feeling miserable. You come out feeling inflated and, and, and elated. And that's how we ought to be Being prayerful means being thankful in prayer. There is nothing like gratitude to God to help us develop in our spiritual lives and in our prayer lives. That's why Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 exhorted the church to give thanks to God in all circumstances. Ouch. Not easy, is it? It's great when things are going great. It's tough when things are tough. The Paul says, Be thankful to God in all circumstances. Prayerfulness means faithfulness in prayer. It means thankfulness in prayer. And thirdly, it means purposefulness in prayer. Purposeful praying. Notice there in chapter 4 verse 3, Paul is specific about the type of prayer he was asking the Colossians to pray. Pray for us too, he says, and he's specific, not just general, not just pray for us. That God may open the door for our message. I like that. He knew what he needed, what he wanted in ministry, and he asked for it specifically. Pertinently, purposefully, pray that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. This is what I call the difference between shotgun and rifle praying. Shotgun and rifle praying. Rifles, my friends, take bullets. And when the marksman fires the bullet, he does so at just one target and hits that target with usual, usually great accuracy. But shotguns, on the other hand, use bookshot, bookshot, And the further it travels, the more it sprays. The more it spreads. What the Apostle Paul is looking for is rifle praying, not shotgun praying. It's okay to pray generally, I suppose, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 kind of suggest that we can pray general prayers and God understands the heart. It is better I believe to have rifle prayers. To load our spiritual rifle so to speak with a single bullet and be specific when we fire that bullet heavenwards. Father, this is what I want you to do. Paul asks, pray for us what want us to pray for, Paul? That God may open a door for our message. So being prayerful means being purposeful in prayer. Yes, it's okay to pray generally. It is better to pray specifically, to pray purposefully. And that's why we need to be informed Christians. We need to be informed. That's why we regularly hear a highlight prayer needs. We need to be informed so we can pray specifically, naming names, claiming situations, asking God to touch in specific ways. And my friends, I understand from experience that God answers such prayer. If we pray generally, God answers generally. If we pray specifically, God answers specifically. Well why wouldn't he? So, okay, it's it time to hear Lord pray we pray for the missionaries. That's okay. But there are thousands of missionaries. So who do you want God to touch? Name names. Name places where that missionary missionaries are working. What are the circumstances of their mission? What are the difficulties that they're experiencing, they're facing? Find out. Get to know the contexts. And take those contexts to God. Being prayerful means being. Purposeful in prayer. Many preachers are good at presenting ideals, biblical requisites if you like, but less good at explaining to us how. How do we live the ideal? Now generally speaking, I don't need to listen to a preacher to tell me that I should read my Bible more. I don't need to listen to a preacher to tell me that I should pray more. Or I should evangelise more. Or I should give more. I already know this. What I need, my friends, is to be taught, is to be encouraged in the how. How? Pastor, how do I read my Bible more? How do I pray more? How do I evangelise more? How do I give more? I know I should be doing it more, How do I live a more effective Christian life? How do I become a more prayerful Christian? Well, it occurs to me, I am pretty organized in my normal everyday life. I need sleep. So, I sleep at predetermined times. I schedule sleep into my 24 hours. Logical, you say. Of course. I need to eat. And so I schedule meals into my normal, everyday life. I need to work, so I predetermine times when, when I might schedule work into my normal, everyday life. I am very structured in my normal, secular life and living. But what about my spiritual life? It disturbs me, brethren, that Christians can be organized in every area and avenue of their lives, except the Christian lives. And they said to me, well oh, pastor how how can I read more? How, how can I be more effective, effective in prayer? how, how can how' Well, logically, let's think about it. Let's sit down and organize what is ostensibly the most important aspect of our lives. We've organized everything else. Let's sit down and organize our spiritual lives. And if we're going to be more purposeful in prayer, let's sit down And organise our prayer lives. How difficult can that be? Seems quite straightforward to me. You say, well, I lead lead a very, very busy life. I, I grant you that. And so it's far more important that you schedule your spiritual life. That you schedule your prayer life. Notwithstanding we live in an attitude of permanent prayer with God, the arrow prayers, but what about, what about the, the, the times of, of private and corporate prayer? Let's schedule our lives so that the most important part of life, prayer, Bible study, spiritual devotions, are scheduled along with everything else. Let's pre-plan, let's predetermine our prayer lives. You say, well, I'm better in the mornings. Wonderful. Schedule your morning prayer time because you get up at a certain time, don't you? And you say to me, well, "I've no time. I've no time, Pastor. Between the time I get up and breakfast, I go out." Oh, it's a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it? You make time, and so you 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 steal time from from the bed. If I know that's touching the Holy Grail for some. But I did a youth conference a number of years ago and I tried to address this very issue to young people. You are far more gracious. (laughs) But I tried to address this with young people. You steal time from your bed. They just looked at me soft. (laughs) What? What? But yes, my friend, I was a young man when God dealt with me on this issue. I had no time between getting up at 7 o'clock and going to work for, 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 I should start with the civil service at 8 o'clock. I had no time. And God says, my son, don't be, don't be stupid. You've got plenty of time. Get up at 6. 6 o'clock, Lord? 6 o'clock? It's okay. John Wesley used to get up at 4.30. And then when he turned 80, he used to moan and he couldn't get up at 4.30 anymore. He got to get up at 5 o'clock. We steal time. We make time. Friends, if it's that important to us as it is to Him, then there's no hardship in making time. You say, Well, I'm not so good in the mornings, uh, and, and some of us aren't. I'm better in the evenings. Well, praise God. You make time in the evenings. Uh, and if and, uh, and we can do a double whammy, you can have half an hour in the morning, half an hour. My friends, the how really depends upon us as individuals, how we tick, we all tick differently. What might work for me won't necessarily work for you. Uh, I'm okay in the morning, so long as I get about seven hours sleep. Ah, so what do I do? I make sure I get seven hours sleep, so that when I get up at six, I'm okay. Uh, Bob Leeson, <laughs> uh, I spoke about him, uh, this uh, elder that uh, so wonderfully impressed my early years as a, as a Christian. Uh, he used to, he was an elder and deacon of the church, and I remember being a, a young deacon at just 18 years of age of my home church in, in Liverpool. didn't really know what I was doing, but it was a good learning curve. 18. Sat there elders and deacons meetings, my goodness me. And uh, I remember the first couple I sat at, and, and this super spiritual bob was in the corner, and... Uh, and the business was there before us, and we were pressing on. And at 10 o'clock, doesn't matter what, what was happening, didn't matter where we were in the agenda, at 10 o'clock, Bob Leeson would get up, excuse himself from the meeting, and go home. It troubled me. It troubled me. I said, well, we're not finished yet. We haven't finished the business. And every time, 10 o'clock, he'd get up, excuse himself nicely, and he'd go home. And I was so troubled, I spoke with Pastor Billy Campbell about it. Billy said, what's wrong with Bob Leeson? Oh, he says, don't worry about it. He says, he he gets up because he's always in bed. He's always in bed for 10.30 because he's always up at 5.30. And he won't let anything cut across his spiritual schedule. That impressed me. That impressed me. And I'm the same in a sense. If if I'm no good in the morning, it's because I've not had my seven hours. Now, I know I need seven hours. Some people maybe can, can afford six. Or can afford five, you know, if you're the prime minister, I don't know. Um, for all Theresa May doesn't look like she gets any sleep, bless her, was <laughs> she? Um, but we're all different, aren't we? And so you know how many hours you need, so you schedule your life so that your most important part is protected. And so if you need seven hours, you make sure you get to bed so you get seven hours, so you can get up at six and spend your hour with the Lord. It's a no-brainer. If you're better in the evenings, fine. Turn the television off at nine. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, go to, and, and go and pray for an hour. And then go to bed. Whatever, whatever rocks your boat, whatever suits your system. But my friends, what is most important, and it disturbs me, Christians come to me and say, how, Pastor? And you quiz them, the rest of their lives are planned. Are planned superbly. Everything except the spiritual life. So listen. Plan your spiritual life. In fact plan the rest of your life around it. Because your spiritual life is more important. Than anything else. That you do. And so that's the how my friends. It's no brainer. As far as I'm concerned. We know how we tick. The Lord knows how we tick. And therefore let's do what we can. To be more prayerful. And as we are prayerful, we are faithful, we are thankful, we are purposeful in prayer. And in so doing, we press on with a sense of extra purpose and direction, enthusiasm and zeal for the sake of God's kingdom. For in the final analysis, that's all that matters. His kingdom. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you for these scriptures and the exhortations. They're familiar to us. It's a reminder in many ways. Forgive us though, Father, oftentimes we are so organized in everything else Accept our spiritual lives. Help us to make these lives, our spiritual lives, a priority today and in the future. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen.